Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised this podcast episode contains the names of people who have died. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to Tuesday, the 23rd of August, 1966. That was the day that Aboriginal man Vincent Lignari and 200 Aboriginal stockmen and their families walked off the Wave Hill cattle station in the Northern Territory. What followed was an eight-year strike that would change Australian history. Vincent Lignari was a Gurindji man born in 1919 though some accounts put his birth at 1908. He lived on Gurindji land, 600 kilometres southwest of Catherine in the Northern Territory. The Gurindji people had lived there for tens of thousands of years, but their home was taken from them by pioneer and pastoralist Nathaniel Buchanan in 1883 so he could raise cattle on what would be called Wave Hill Station. This resulted in Aboriginal people's waterholes and soaks being fenced off for livestock. The Gurindji had two choices, neither of which were good. Leave their traditional lands or remain and eke out a pitiful living working for the station owners. Aboriginal workers weren't paid wages. Instead, they received rations of beef, flour and tobacco. In 1914, the Wave Hill Station, which comprised some 8,000 square miles and was by then owned by Nathaniel's brother William Buchanan, was bought by the huge British company The Vesti Group, which was owned by Baron William Vesti. Terrible treatment of Aboriginal station workers was part of the way that Wave Hill had made a profit for the Buchanans, and it was now how it had continued to make money for the Vesties. As early as 1938, Aboriginal workers were going to strike at Wave Hill Station. As Darwin's Northern Standard newspaper reported in April that year, quote, the reputation of this station is such that many station workers refuse to take employment at any of the Vesti stations, and it has become necessary to bring jackaroos from the south to fill the positions. At this time, Vesti's wasn't even fulfilling its minimum requirements in terms of giving food rations to its workers. Quote, Potatoes, onions and other essential commodities were not available to employees, despite the fact that the pastoral award provides for these to be part of the menu. This is a constant source of complaint from Wave Hill stockmen, and employees say that the position now regarding the food supply has become intolerable. Faced with a walk-off, the Vesti station managers shipped Aboriginal workers to other stations to break the imminent protest. In 1945, an inquiry found Vesti wasn't paying Aboriginal workers the five shillings a day they were by then entitled to under law. And Aboriginal workers were housed in corrugated iron humpies with no water, lights, sanitation or cooking facilities. By contrast, white workers were paid what they rode, about £3 a week, and their accommodations were comfortable and well-appointed. Terrible pay and working conditions weren't the only abuses Aboriginal people at Wave Hill had had to endure, not by a long shot. Aboriginal people had been killed at will at Wave Hill by whites since the earliest days of Nathaniel Buchanan's station. 
In the early 1880s, his station manager, Sam Croker, committed the first recorded murder when he shot and killed a Gurindji man for the crime of taking a bucket. We know this because Nathaniel Buchanan's son, Gordon, included this story in his 1933 memoir, Pack Horse and Waterhole. In this book, Gordon Buchanan acknowledged that Aboriginal people who speared cattle and sometimes settlers were being, quote, naturally retaliatory because they'd been forced off their land and deprived of their traditional resources. Gordon Buchanan also admitted that men like his father had protected their pastoral leases by simply shooting Aborigines they couldn't press into work. One of the worst offenders in the Aboriginal oral tradition was pastoralist Jack Beasley, who raped Aboriginal women and killed their men. Corroboration of his brutality can be found in a memoir by Doug Moore, who worked as a bookkeeper and storekeeper at Ord River starting in 1904. He wrote, quote, Jack Beasley was the head stockman, a rough, good-natured chap who talked about gouging out blackfellow's eyes with a blunt pocket knife, although I thought it only talk, but some built on it later. Such brutality wasn't punished by the police. In fact, the police were among the worst of the perpetrators. Mounted Constable William Wilshire had, by 1890, officially been recognised as having killed 13 Aboriginal people. The true figure was undoubtedly higher, but remains unknown because Constable Wilshire didn't like doing paperwork. In 1891, Constable Wilshire was tried for ordering the murder of two Aboriginal people, but he was acquitted. In 1893, he was sent to the Victoria River, Wave Hill District, so as his Australian Dictionary of Biography entry states, he could, quote, commit mayhem at will. While Constable Wilshire hated paperwork, he loved writing about his exploits and in 1896 he published The Land of the Dawning, a book that was subtitled Being Facts Gleaned from Cannibals in the Australian Stone Age. In this book, he wrote about the majestic sound of carbines talking, that is, rifles being used to shoot natives, those, quote, Aborigines who plot and contrive to take the heart's blood of white men. Constable Wilshire's police successes in the 1900s, and we're talking right into the 1930s here, were also sadists who tortured Aboriginal people by chaining them to trees and setting dogs upon them. So it's against this backdrop that the events of Wave Hill should be understood. In March 1966, the Australian Arbitration Commission ruled that Aboriginal stockmen and station workers should get the same wages as non-Indigenous employees. But here was the kicker. This change wasn't going to come into effect for three more years in order to give the pastoralists breathing space. Gurindji man Billy Bunter Jumpinjimpa was 16 at the time, and he'd later tell the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, We were treated just like dogs. We were lucky to get paid the 50 quid a month we were due. And we lived in tin humpies you had to crawl in and out of on your knees. There was no running water. The food was bad, just flour, tea, sugar, and bits of beef like the head or feet of a bullock. The Vesti mob were hard men. They didn't care about blackfellas. On this day in 1966, the Gurindji had had enough, and Elder Vincent Lingyari decided to take a stand. Here's how Billy remembered it, quote, Old Vincent came back from hospital in Darwin one day, and he had decided that he would pull us out. He pulled everyone out that Tuesday and we walked with the kids and our swags to the Victoria River where we camped till after Christmas. After Victoria River, the Gurindji protesters moved 
to Wattie Creek, now known by its indigenous name Dagaragu, where they set up a permanent camp. Faced with a walk-off, Vesties went into damage control mode. It bulldozed the humpies so they wouldn't wind up in newspapers and on TV. Vesties offered Vincent Lignari and the strikers higher wages and a bonus of beef. Vincent said no. In late 1966, the Northern Territory government offered a 125% pay rise, which would still be less than what white workers earned. The strikers refused. What they wanted was equal pay and conditions, and the return of that part of Wave Hill Station that was their traditional land. The Northern Territory government tried to cut off their food supply, and strikers were threatened by yahoos with shotguns. At one stage, the strikers were near starvation, but they refused to budge. Their bravery was inspiring too, and eye-opening for many ordinary Australians. Wharfies from Darwin's Waterside Workers' Federation took truckloads of supplies to support the strikers. The walk-off also found moral and financial support all across Australia, particularly among unionists, artists, students and progressive churchgoers. One of the most prominent and vocal supporters was author Frank Hardy. Vincent Lignari travelled around Australia giving talks to raise awareness and funds. A young doctor who'd never before met an Aboriginal person came to one of these events. He was so moved that he donated $500 and he embarked on a career that would end up changing the lives of countless Aboriginal people. His name, of course, Dr Fred Hollows. On the land rights question, the government did offer a big piece of land to the Gurindji, in Arnhem Land, far from the home they'd occupied for tens of thousands of years. Vincent Lignari and his people said they weren't going anywhere. A March 1968 article in The Age, headlined Squatters on Their Own Land, included this, quote, Negotiations with Vesties, the huge British meat firm which has the lease on Wave Hill Station to give the Gurindji a small slice of land, are now proceeding. If they get it, it will not be anything like the 500 square miles they originally asked for. One or two square miles, I understand, is more likely to be the case. Those negotiations went nowhere, as did a 1969 proposal to give eight square miles for a settlement. A year later, in 1970, the federal government started building houses nearby to tempt the Gurindji from their Wattie Creek camp. This didn't work either, with Vincent Lignari telling the Sydney Morning Herald in August 1970, quote, The Gurindji people who are camped at Wattie Creek on Vesti land regard this place as their traditional land. We don't want the government's new town. In 1972, six years into the strike, Gough Whitlam was elected Prime Minister, having reached office with a campaign that included a promise of Aboriginal land rights legislation. Once in power, the government entered negotiations with Vesti, who, after two years of arguing, surrendered their lease on the claimed land to the Whitlam government. On the 16th of August, 1975, one week shy of nine years since the walk-off, Gough Whitlam went to Dagaragu for the handback of the Gurindji land to Vincent Lingyari and his people. Gough Whitlam symbolically poured red dirt into Vincent's hands, and he said, I want to promise you that this act of restitution which we perform today will not stand alone. Your fight was not for yourselves alone, and we are determined that Aboriginal Australians everywhere will be helped by it. And I want to give 
back to you formally in Aboriginal and in Australian law, ownership of this land of your fathers. Vincent Lingyari responded, quote, We all right now. We all friendly. We all mates. Vincent passed away in January 1988, but his legacy lives on in the struggle for Aboriginal land rights. Of course, he was also immortalised in one of Australia's greatest songs, Paul Kelly and Kev Carmody's 1991 anthem, From Little Things, Big Things Grow. Now, with the very kind permission of Paul Kelly and Sony ATV and Kev Carmody and Cobalt Music Publishing, is that song. Catch you tomorrow. story of power and pride British Lord Vesti and Vincent Lignari were opposite men on opposite sides Vesti was fat with money and muscle beef was his business broad was his door Vincent was lean and spoke very little he had no bank balance, hard dirt was his floor. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. The Ringy were working for nothing but rations, but once they had gathered the wealth of the land. Daily the pressure got tighter and tighter The Ringy decided they must make a stand They picked up their swags and started off walking At Waddy Creek they sat themselves down Now it don't sound like much But it sure got tongues talking Back at the homestead and then in the town from little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Investing man said, I'll double your wages. Eighteen quid a week you'll have in your hand. Vincent said, uh-uh, we're not talking about wages. We're sitting right here till we get our land. Vesti man roared, Vesti man thundered. You don't stand a chance of a cinder and snow. Vince said, if we fall, others are rising. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Vincent Lignari boarded an airplane Landed in Sydney, big city of lights And daily he went round softly speaking his story To all kinds of men from all walks of life And Vincent sat down with big politicians 
This affair, they told him, it's a matter of state. Let us sort it out. While your people are hungry, Vincent said, no thanks, we know how to wait. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Then Vincent Lingari returned in an airplane back to his country once more to sit down. And he told his people, let the stars keep on turning. We have friends in the south, in the cities and towns. Eight years went by, eight long years of waiting to one day a tall stranger appeared in the land. And he came with lawyers, and he came with great ceremony, and through Vincent's fingers poured a handful of sand. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.